Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastor from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. My name is John and I'm one of the pastors here. It's a privilege to be up here speaking today. And if you're watching online or you're here in person, thank you for being a part of our services. And this has been a time of celebration. And I know that is the theme of the weekend. And last week we got to celebrate our new district superintendent, Dr. Sam Barber was here. Didn't he do a great job? Yeah, he was great. That was awesome. We are so glad that he and his wife are here leading our churches in this area of South Central Ohio, and uh, we are excited to take our next step today in our series in the book of Exodus. We've been making our way through Exodus, looking at the main character, Moses, and today I'm pretty thrilled to be bringing this next message to you today on what is most likely, I believe, the most important moment in the entire Old Testament. This specific event that takes place is one of the most significant moments in the Old Testament before Jesus arrives because you will see that there is constantly references back to this passage we're gonna look at today. There are prophets that focus on this movement. There are calls for God to show up in the same way that we're gonna see he shows up today. And this is also a foreshadowing of how God is going to bring freedom to his people. So let me give you a little background. We've moved through Moses' life to the point now that he has gone back to Egypt and he has gone to Pharaoh and said, let God's people go and Pharaoh does not oblige. He is not on board. He tells them no. And so out of God's judgment, he sends 10 plagues, 10 plagues. And here's some cool connectedness you're gonna find as we get through this passage and this message today, that God sends 10 plagues specifically to show his power over the 10 main gods of the Egyptians to show that he is God, he is in control. He says, you have a God for the water? Let me tell you, I'm the God of the water, I can turn it to blood. You have a God for your harvest? Let me tell you, I'm the God of the harvest and meeting your needs. He says, you have a God for this or that? I'm all that you need, I am the Lord your God. And that's just a great starting point today. If you need God to show up or you need a reminder of who he is. God is in the business of showing and revealing himself as the only thing that you need. With all authority, with all power, with all expressions, he is still God, regardless of what may have bound you, may have held you, or held his people captive for many years. He is still in control today. So will you join me in Exodus chapter 12? We're gonna look at verses 12 through 14 on this pivotal moment in the history of God's people. Follow along, I'm gonna use the NIV version today. It says, on that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. 
And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 14 says, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord, a last ordinance. And so today you can see we are gonna be talking about Passover. I'm pretty excited. I used to teach on Passover with my students as a Bible teacher, and this is one of the things that we'd make a really big deal because this was God's intention for Passover to be a really big deal for his people. Now, let me break this down for you. Oftentimes, I found teaching on Passover, uh, as you understand it, to be a huge, momentous event and occurrence, but also a celebration in the Jewish faith as well, their biggest holiday. Simply looking at the term Passover gives an indication of what happens. Passover is a combination of two words. Are you ready? Pass over. And they just put them together, okay? It's not that difficult. Passover is what happens. And so there's the deep depth knowledge you needed from the Bible today, I'm sure. But Passover is good news for all of us. And if you stay with me and you understand the meaning behind the scriptures today, that if you see the symbolism and how God speaks to his people through real life examples, you're gonna find an understanding on God's method for how he brings freedom and salvation. You're gonna find an understanding for God's message and how he speaks to each and every one of us throughout scripture. And then you're gonna find an understanding for God's Messiah and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the plan to restore our relationship with God and not be bound to slavery and sin. Now, when you look at Passover, it's often broken down into three different categories. First, there's a festival, and then there's the meal, and then there's the lamb. So first, I wanna look at the festival with you. The festival of Passover and how that is uh, come to be observed. Verse 14 tells us that this day is to be a day that you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. God wanted his people to celebrate. He wanted his people to gather, to be a part of it. And Passover oftentimes includes a lot of gathering of people coming together, extended relatives coming together. There's music played, there's dancing, there's enjoyment, there's activities that happen. And all of that in the songs is a festival. And in this festival, it's so big, if you understand basic uh, terminology, the root word of festival is feast. And feasts indicates that there are actually three, do you see the thread? Three feasts that happen during Passover. There's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there's the Passover meal, which is a ginormous meal, and then there's the Feast of First Fruits. All of those three happen under the umbrella of Passover. And I just want to point out to you that oftentimes a lot of preachers like to talk about the importance of fasting. But where's that good preaching on feasting? Come on, somebody. 
God intends for people to celebrate, to be together, and for them to partake and feast as a part of the festival. Here we are talking about this weekend being the celebration of our nation, right? One of the biggest holidays in our country in July 4th. In celebrating our independence, we do the same thing. We have a festival. There's parades that happen down every main street. We look up to the sky and watch our tax dollars explode and fireworks. (laughs) And we celebrate through feasting. The biggest event that happens on the 4th of July is this picture right here. Nathan's hot dog eating contest, where you watch on your screen a dozen people try to scarf down a new world record of 70 plus hot dogs. And while I'm watching it, I try not to gag for them. But they feast, and we get enjoyment out of that for some reason. Take that off, I'm going to get sick. And in the same way of celebrating, that we do here on this holiday, Passover is a celebration of the freedom that God provided. But let's look at the meal now. Verse eight in Exodus chapter 12 says this, then at the same night they are to eat a meal roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and breads without yeast. You see in chapter 12, if you read it all the way through and I encourage you to do that, you'll see that God gives very specific instructions on what items they are supposed to have a part of this meal. He focuses in on the meal as a moment of remembrance, a moment of remembering. But he also tells them not just what to prepare and eat, but he tells them that they're to eat it quickly. And every parent's had to do that before. Eat your food. Eat your food. We got to go. Eat it quickly. Let's go to be fully dressed, and he tells them to hold a staff in their hand to be ready to move. And so as they're eating this meal, God gives very specific instructions. And so there's a portion of the Passover meal that I used to share this experience with my students. I even shared it with my small group called a Seder. And they put a plate together that looks like this on the screen. This Seder plate has symbolic meanings for each of the items. And as they would go through eating this meal, everyone was sitting together. There was no adult table and kids table. Everybody is seated together. And they go through the story of what plays out here in the book of Exodus. They have each of the items and each of them are listed and they have meaning for understanding. Let me explain to you here a little bit. In the middle of the plate, there's a pile of salt. And everything is centered around the salt. And then they have four cups that they would place in front of each person. And each cup has a different understanding. And so to start the Seder, I would have my students, some of them are in this room actually, take their finger and they dip their finger in the water. And then they would drip it over the salt. And they would do that ceremoniously 10 times. Dipping it from the water into the salt, representing the 10 plagues. And every time they're making this salt water, remembering the salty tears that were shed during each plague. 
And then they move to the parsley. And the parsley is that little piece of leaves that you learn one time not to eat, right? It's a garnish on every plate and you look at it and man, I would have my kids eat that and they would be so grossed out they couldn't taste anything else we had the rest of the day. It is disgusting. If you don't believe me, try it and please film it for us. Parsley was dipped into the salt water and then they would eat it to remind themselves of the bitterness of slavery. And then at the top of the plate, there's this lamb bone. The lamb bone was what God had instructed them to sacrifice the one-year-old spotless lamb. And they were supposed to eat that together. Then moving down the plate, it says there's bitter herbs. Also, again, reminding them of the bitterness of slavery down to the romaine lettuce and the fact that in slavery, they had to make their own food. And so they had bitter lettuce. And then there's these apple nuts and spices that were mixed in. And in that, it was a little bit of salty and sweet. And while they were reminded again of their slavery, there was the sweetness and the hope that someday they would get out of it, that they would be saved. And as they reflected on that post-leaving slavery, they were salty of their past, but hopeful for a Messiah to come. That mixture reminded them of the mortar of the bricks that they had to make and lay for years and generations. And then you see the egg at the top. That would be dipped also in the salt water and was a reminder of the sacrifices that they had to make. But they didn't have a temple while they were in slavery. And so they were bitter about the fact that they didn't have a place to worship God. And so as they're going through this year after year, generation after generation, we find that Jesus himself partook in this Passover experience. He partook in the meal and the festivities of Passover. So much so he says in Luke chapter 6 verse, I'm sorry, Luke 26 verse 15, he says, I have been very eager to eat the Passover meal with you before my suffering. You see, right before Jesus suffered, he gathered disciples together in an upper room and the people had gathered for Passover. And what is famously known as his last supper was actually a gathering of Passover meal. And in that gathering of the last supper, Jesus gives new meaning to the Passover experience. Jesus goes through that moment and shares this meal with them. Jesus was known as the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist first sees Jesus for the first time walking towards him as he's baptizing people in the river, he says in John 1, he says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was a point in the service, in the ceremony of meeting and eating the Passover meal where they would take out this unleavened bread. We call it matzah. There would be three pieces that look like this. Looks like a large toaster strudel. They would take out three pieces and they'd stack them together. And the head of the household who was performing the meal would take the middle piece. He would take the middle piece and he would break it. And then he'd put it back in the stack. And then he would hide it in a cloth. And he'd wrap it up and he'd tuck it away. 
And then all the kids knew the next morning before the sun rose that they were to go find the cloth that was hidden. And there was a celebration once the kid found the cloth. And so it's in that moment when Jesus is performing this Seder where he says, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are three. He takes the middle piece and he breaks it in half, representing the Son being broken. He places it back in there as he would have always been taught to do as a young Jewish boy. And he takes half of it and he passes it out and he says, at that moment, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same way, then he goes on and takes the cup. Matthew 26, 26 describes this experience. And we know that half of it would have been placed in a towel. And it would have been wrapped up. And when, what happened to Jesus' body after it was broken? It says he comes off the cross and he is wrapped in linens and cloth and then placed in a hidden place. But what happens when they go to find him the next morning as the Jews would have done with this matzah? They go to find him and all they find are the linens that are left. His body is what? It's gone. And he's given new meaning to their understanding of their traditions of Passover. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. As he says in John, are you following with me here how important Passover was in revealing who Jesus was? And Jesus fulfilled every prophecy and passage a part of the Passover meal. Let me see if I can get you excited about this. The lamb. The third part of Passover when you reference Passover is the lamb. God gave instructions about the blood of the lamb that was to be the specific piece that was going to save his people. The blood of the lamb Salvation did not come in attending the festival. It didn't come in showing up and singing and dancing and being part of the activities. Salvation didn't come in eating the food, eating it in the right order, doing all of the steps of the meal and remembering what they had gone through and how God had saved them in the past. No, salvation came through the blood of the lamb. Salvation came only through the blood that was shed. Exodus 12, 7 says, then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the top of the door frames of their house where they eat the lamb. Man, we've got some really cool, talented people here who have put this door together. And this is the image here that I want to stick in your mind. Because they would go to their door on the night of the 10th plague arriving. And in their hope for salvation to save their people. They took the blood and they did as verse seven says, and they painted it on the tops of the door frames, down the sides, across the top, it said. I'm not very good at this. Remember, I got third place out of two people in our contest. You remember that story? They painted it across the top. They painted it down the sides. In the shed blood of this spotless lamb, the lamb was set aside for 10 days. 10 days set aside 
from all the other lambs. And in that moment, on the 14th day, they took the lamb and would slaughter it and collect its blood, and they'd put it on their doorposts. And this is what stuck out to me. This is the number one verse that stuck out to me as I was studying this passage. Look at verse 13 with me, what it says here. It says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Notice here it doesn't say that the blood will be a sign for me, God, when the death angel passes over. I need you to put blood on the door so I can see it, and when I see it, I'll pass over. No, no, no. What does it say? It says the blood will be a sign to who? To you. And I got to thinking, why is that? Why is the blood a sign to the people who are inside the door? Well, here's why. No, this is good. Are you ready? The blood on the door was a sign to the people of the sacrifice and the steps of faith that they had to make to be obedient to God. God knows what's on the other side of the door. God knew the condition and the belief that they held in him. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. He knew their spiritual condition. He knew their spiritual condition on the other side of the door. God said, the blood that is a shed is a sign for you to know. It's a step of faith that you must believe but that by putting that blood on there, you'll be saved. It was for them to be obedient is what God asked them to do. And the specific steps that he asked them to take to place the blood on the door. When I moved back here from Texas, I got hired back here and I, I was invited to go look at some of the trailers that our property was uh, on our property. And our church was getting rid of some trailers. They said, hey, there's some old upward hoops in here. You might wanna come take a look and see if there's something you wanna save. And so I go into the trailer, it's pretty dark and I'm using my phone flashlight and looking around and I'm looking over the hoops and then I see something leaned up against the side of the trailer. And it was this right here. And if you've been around this church for a while, you may recognize this. But growing up in this church, I see this crossbeam. And it's got all the red paint splatterings I grab it and I had to clean it off. There were hornet's nests on it, cobwebs, and I'm wiping it down. And I said, hey, what are you guys gonna do with that? They said, oh, you know, we just gotta get rid of the trailers here. I said, hey, I, I gotta keep that. And this is where my wife would say, maybe I'm too sentimental or something, but I started looking at this. This was the crossbeam that Don Bowman carried every single year right down this aisleway right up these stairs. This was the paint that was splattered across there. But I started to reflect and remember what it was like sitting in those plays and those productions. And as this crossbeam would make its way up to that top screen up there, at the top of the mountain where they would put him on the cross, I started to remember him yelling 
as the soldiers were walking behind him and as he vividly played and displayed Christ, the panting of his breath, they whipped this beam time and time again. You can see it. But there was a different yell the soldiers would say when they actually hit Don on the back and missed the beam. And how real and vivid that was that this red paint isn't red paint, but that was the blood of Jesus. And how many times as a young man, as a young boy, I saw Jesus bound to this by a man that was the, one of the greatest examples of Christ on earth and Pastor Don. In that moment when I saw him carrying this over his shoulder and stumbling up here, panting and breathing, taking it up to that hill and it reminded me my sins were on that cross. He was carrying my sins and he was shedding his blood for me. I can't let that piece go. I've had it in my office. I talked to Pastor Don. I said, Pastor Don, do you want this? I mean, you carry this. He said, I carried that thing way too long. I don't want that around. I said, I got to hold on to this. This has got too much meaning. And as I started studying this, it hit me. It was the blood, the reminders of this here that was a sign to me of what Jesus did for me. It was the visual sign to me of what Jesus did for me. And this is how cool God is in the symbolism of this. Are you ready? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know that? That God instructs the people here in Exodus that the sign for them will be the blood on their door frames. God's sign for us to be saved will be the blood on the cross that is placed and positioned on the side of the door frames where his hands were. On the top of the doorpost, Exodus says, where the crown of thorns would have been, and it dripped all the way down to his feet where the last nail was placed. That's where salvation comes from. It's this picture right here. God's purpose and plan before Exodus before the first plague, to save his people before Moses leads them out, was to save us all along through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. And it's not attending the festivals and celebrations and the worship time that we have here that saves you. Although those are great times to be together. It is not eating a meal or taking communion, which we're going to do, that saves you. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. And I hope this image sticks in your mind today. What it took for you was simply the sacrifice of Jesus for your behalf. God didn't care about their failures. God didn't care that they were the lowest people on earth. They were slaves. They were grunts. God didn't care. God didn't care about their past. 
all the golden idols that they had worshipped, all the times they had picked somebody else to worship but him. God didn't care. He didn't stop desiring to save them. He brought judgment, but he offered a way for them to be spared. I want to tell you something today. God knows the condition of your heart. He doesn't need to see the blood on your door because he sees the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for your behalf. God knows of your mistakes. He knows of your failures. He knows of your shortcomings. He knows that your blood being spilled would not save you. So he sent his son. Before you ever lived, the sacrifice was made. And so I want to ask you today, is the blood of Jesus covering your life? Is the blood of Jesus covering your home? That the destruction that was intended to come into your life, the destruction that was sent to destroy, to kill, cannot pass because you are covered in the blood. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you received the gift of salvation that God has intended for you? That you don't have to be fearful of what's going on and what's plaguing the world because you know your condition is right with Jesus Christ for all eternity. If that is you today, I want to invite you to join with me in communion together. Maybe some of you would say, Pastor John, I haven't made that choice. I have not received Jesus as my Savior. His blood that was shed, I have not received that as a covering for my life. Man, if that's you today, I want you to pray this prayer of salvation with me. Because it's not worth going through life anymore without Jesus Christ. If there is a message I can share with you as a pastor, it's don't look past this moment where God has made a way for you to hear his message of hope. For you to receive and be covered in the blood of Jesus, which will forgive all your sins which will restore your relationship with him, which will make you right in the eyes of God, that you can find true freedom from what has bound you and kept you a slave to sin. Maybe you're watching online. This is the point we invite you to take your step of faith as well. You can click, I said yes. You can Bow your heads here with me in this room. Pray this prayer of salvation and receive the gift of Jesus with me. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross for my behalf. How you, Jesus, gave new meaning to a Passover meal when you gathered your closest friends together 
You took the matzah and you said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Jesus, you gave your life for me that I can have freedom from sin. Forgive me for when I've made mistakes and not chosen your best for me in the past. Cover me in the blood that I may not receive the destruction that is intended for my life. And I can be saved through your son and have eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In that last supper time, Jesus gathered his closest friends. In that upper room, he gave new meaning to the Seder we talked about. And he took the bread and he broke it. And I always break this little wafer, even if it turns into crumbs. He broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. When you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Break and eat. It says he goes on, Matthew 26, verse 28, he says, this is my blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. You may drink. Maybe you're new here and you haven't seen this before. This is the symbolism that we're referencing here. We're not drinking real blood or people's bodies are not being consumed. Rather, this is the imagery that God uses to reveal himself to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that we may know him more intimately from this point forward. Will you stand and worship with us here? Will you celebrate who Jesus is with us this morning? That the price of sin was not too much for him to pay. That we have found freedom in his blood being shed. And we can rejoice for the time when he will return to us again someday. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.